Speaking of holidays, growing up, we had a tradition in my family, and I'm guessing you probably had a similar, if not the same tradition, that on Christmas, me and my mother, my brother, and my younger sister would bake cookies together. And these weren't like, you know, buy the cookie dough from the store. While that would be much easier to do, we would make all the cookie dough from scratch, and we would make cookies together and have a great time doing it. However, I learned early on in life that baking was not for me. That was not my gift. We're in a gifted series, spiritual gift, baking, not me, all right? But I found out one of the reasons why that baking wasn't for me is because I had a terrible time trying to combine ingredients for baking. Now, cooking is a different story. I love to cook. When I was in college, I picked up cooking. It was something I enjoyed doing it, something I still do today very often. But with cooking, I felt like, you know, you have some seasoning here, a little seasoning there, you know, get some cheese, throw that in there. You can have some chicken, put that together, maybe some some vegetables that, you know, they're just fluff. I mean, let's be honest, the vegetables, they're just fluff. All right. But you throw those in there for your nutrition. Okay. And then boom, you got this awesome meal. But with baking, I couldn't do that. With baking, I was so excited about the cookies at the end, my mom would say, grab the sugar, and I'd just grab the whole cup and just throw it. And she would say, no, you have to measure out the sugar, you have to make sure it's correct. And so I remember getting the the small, like, why is a a teaspoon so small? I don't understand. But I would would get it, and I would dip it in, and there would be a little bit on the edge, so I would, like, scrape it off the top to make sure we had exactly a teaspoon. You know, I thought to myself, that's too structured. That's, like, too exact, you know? I really like cooking when it's like, oh, just, just a dash of salt, and I'm like you know, just throw it. Who cares how much it is? It says a dash. There's no cup for a dash or anything like that. And and, and I thought to myself back then when I was making the food, another thing, and this is just my random thought now, so please excuse it, but why do salt and sugar have to go together? And why do they have to look so similar? I mean, I was the type of kid that, you know, I I would lick my finger and, and put it in the sugar and take a taste, you know, and I did that with the salt one time instead of the sugar and It was a mess. Anyway, I thought to myself, you know, combining ingredients in baking is much, much different than combining ingredients in cooking. And when I was given this certain sermon in this sermon series of Gifted to to preach on prophecy and mercy, I kind of felt like I was baking and not cooking. I kind of felt like these are two ingredients that I don't know how well these two go together. Because I thought to myself, well, if I'm going to do two spiritual gifts, I want to do a sermon that kind of encompasses both spiritual gifts together. I don't want to say, all right, our first 10 minutes is going to be on prophecy, and our second 10 minutes is going to be on mercy. You know, uh, you know, you all be very blessed today. If I only go 20 minutes, we'll see how it goes, however you But I, I thought to myself, I don't want to do that. I want to bring them to, together and create a sermon and find that in Scripture and do that the way that God brings those two together, because I'm confident they can. But when I was first thinking about prophecy and mercy, my thought was, how in the world do those two go together? And I found out from reading Scripture that prophecy and mercy, maybe I didn't realize it in my own daily life, But through reading scripture and through meditating and praying to God, that prophecy and mercy are two things that oftentimes go together more often than we realize. Sometimes we don't always understand. Sometimes one gift might get elevated more than the other in usage, and we don't always think 
about the other one. But I think what's important to do is before we see how they combined, is we see what they do and where they come from. So we've been in Romans chapter 12, and Romans chapter 12, verse 6, talks about prophecy. And here's what it says. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. Now this word prophesy, all right, you guys ready to be Greek scholars today? I'm going to turn you guys all into Greek scholars. All right, we're going to have a great time, okay? But this word prophesy is kind of difficult to understand, but it has a few different definitions. In the Greek, this word is pronounced prophetio, all right? Now, you really get the T, because the T is fun to say, but you guys are going to say it with me. Online, you too. All right? I, I know you're sitting at your computer desk, and you're like, am I really going to talk to my computer right now? Yes, talk to your computer, okay? So we're going to say this on three. One, two, three. Profiteo. All right, one more time. You guys, a little more emphasis, okay? You're Greek scholars today, all right? Act like it. One, two, three. Profiteo. There you go. All right, so profiteo is the word that means to foretell, to tell forth. It's, it's also the word that most commonly gets translated into the word prophecy. And I don't know about you, but when I think of prophecy, I think of the foretelling of the end times, the, 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 the foretelling of Jesus coming for the first time or him coming for the second time. That's the main thing I have always thought of. But when we look at Scripture, not only is prophecy, or, or to prophesy, to foretell, but is also to tell forth. To go forth and present a message that was once given to you to another person or another group of people. And this is what we oftentimes see in the Old Testament with the minor prophets, is they were oftentimes given a message from God. God spoke to them, gave them this message, and they had to take that message and then go deliver it to other people. And so they would go over here to God and they would say, okay, that's the message. Now I'm going to take it over here to these other people. Here's the message. We're not very popular. People don't like us because we're, we're telling them something they most likely don't want to hear. All right. But that's also a part of prophecy, a part of prophesying is not just, you know, talking about the second coming of Jesus or when he was first going to come or anything like that, but also to gather a message from God and then to go deliver that message. Somebody that we see who foretells a lot, one of the prophets, is Isaiah. Isaiah wrote a long book that talks and has a lot of prophecy about Jesus coming to the people. All right? And not only that, but he also talks about future prophecies as well. And, 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 and Jesus fulfilled every single one of those prophecies that Isaiah told about him. But another prophet that we see that he doesn't do so much of the foretelling, but what he does is he does the telling forth. He goes forth for God. One of those prophets who had a hard time at first, he has quite the story, is Jonah, who has to be given a message from God and then go deliver that message to the people of Nineveh. Now, he kind of went on a detour, right? He didn't do it exactly the way that it was taught or told, you know, that he would do it. However, he did go and deliver the message. And so what we see here is that the most important thing about prophecy is prophecies are messages that come from God and are to be delivered to people. They may include, you know, a foretelling of Jesus and his coming. They might include that. They might not. They might just be a message from God, but prophecies are a message from God to be delivered to people. And I'll tell you the story. When I was in high school, I felt like, and I didn't realize it at first, it took me 
a little longer in my life to realize it, but I was given a prophecy by my youth minister. One thing I wanted to do when I was growing up is I wanted to be a math teacher, right? Very popular occupation. Everybody wants to be a math teacher when they grow up, all right? But I wanted to be a math teacher really bad. I felt like, you know, I was really good at math. I enjoyed communicating to people. You know, I was the kid that went home and they gave you the odd problems because the evens were in the back, all right? Students act like you didn't hear that, okay? But they would give us the odd problems and I'd go through and I'd do the even problems too because I just love math so much. I I love the analytics, the data entry portion of it, all those different kinds of things. But, But that was something that I really liked. But around my, my time in high school, around the end of my sophomore year, our youth minister left the church. And it wasn't for anything bad. He left because he was going to go plant a church in another town um, in the state of Ohio. And so when he left, the church started trying to find another minister to hire to be with the youth. Well, this took a while to do. And so after a few months, they said, well, we've got to make sure the youth ministry is still happening. So let's form a team to run the youth ministry while we're looking for somebody else. Well, my brother had just graduated from high school. And so he was on that team. My father was on that team. A few uh, people who were teaching Sunday school at the time for the youth ministry were on that team. And that team decided that they wanted some more student leadership in the youth ministry. And so they went to me, a, newly, a, new, a new junior in high school, that I would preach to the youth group. And that I would be one to teach Sunday school to the youth group as a junior in high school. And I thought to myself, I love church. I love my friends here. I love doing a good job. So sure, I'll do that. Well, after doing that for about until the end of my junior year, we hired a new youth minister. And that new youth minister took me under his wing and really worked with me. I was expecting when he got there to relieve all of my responsibilities, everything would be over and I wouldn't have to worry about doing those things anymore. However, that was not the case. He wanted to get me more involved. He wanted to get me to doing more things. He wanted to get me to keep doing what I was doing and even give me more leadership responsibility. And so naturally, as the yes man that I was, I said, sure, go for it. And as I continued on doing those things in ministry, I grew closer and closer with my youth minister. And one day we were sitting in his house, we were having coffee. I think, I think we were playing video games or something like that too. And uh, he, he set his coffee down and he said, I just want to talk to you about something real fast, John. He said, I think, I think you're called to ministry. He said, I honestly feel like I have a message that God has been giving me. I have a feeling, I have a nudging, whatever you want to call it. I can't exactly explain it. But he said, I have this this feeling that I need to communicate to you that you belong in ministry. And this whole idea of you going to school to be a math teacher, that's great. If you do that, you'll be great at it. But God wants you to be in ministry. And I kind of laughed. I was like, I don't know about that. I like math, you know. (laughs) And so I I said, no, I don't know about that. Well, he said, well, tell you what, don't, you know, don't commit to it, yes or no, but just think about it, pray about it, you know, and, and, and ask God for guidance on it. And it didn't just stop there. My youth minister brought it up multiple times later in my high school career. And he even offered to go with me on, on uh, college visits to KCU and CCU and these other Christian colleges. And eventually, we never went on any visits together, but eventually I did say yes, obviously, here I am, to going to Christian college to be in ministry. 
And all throughout my time in college as well, he was right there with me. He would help me when I had problems in a class. He, he, he donated books to me that were quite expensive that he had from his previous classes in school. And, and he would help me even with my schedule. He would tell me, hey, this is your major. These are the classes you need to focus on. He would help me in all those ways. And I felt like that was prophecy that he was speaking to me. That he had been given, whatever you want to call it, a message, a feeling, a nudging from God. Like he said, he can't explain it. And I'm sure you maybe have felt something that you can't explain like that before too. And he had to communicate that to me. That I belonged in ministry. And ever since I, I have realized the, the, the effect of that in my life, in that message, and how that was prophecy from God through Rusty, I've tried my best to, to always be listening for those small nudgings, for those, for those feelings that I can't exactly explain, to try to deliver those to people as well. And I don't know if I've done a great job of it or not. I try my best, but I think to myself, how can I deliver messages that I believe God has put in my heart to somebody else? And so like I said, you know, we think to ourselves, well, that's, that's great, that prophecy, you know, makes sense that way. It's not just talking about the end times, but how does that and mercy still go together? Well, it's important to look at prophecy then. In Romans chapter 12, verse 8, the second half of verse 8, it says, and if you have a gift for showing kindness, the NLT translates that word as kindness, and for sake of using the same translation, but it, it's more often usually described as mercy, to others do it gladly. So I'll read it all together. And if you have a gift for showing mercy to others, do it gladly. Some translations say do it cheerfully to other people. And so what we recognize here is that mercy kind of needs a little bit of a definition too. And so the word of mercy in the Greek is elios. All right? You guys ready? You ready online, people? All right? One, two, three. Elios. All right? Great job. Good job, Jack. I heard you all the way from up here, man. Nice. But elios, it's a fun word to say. It's a good word to say. All right, and it's a fun thing to be able to present to people because mercy is one of those things that people really enjoy receiving from someone else. And mercy isn't just something that, that, that we have seen in our lives. It's prevalent throughout the Bible. But one prophet, like I mentioned him earlier, Jonah, who, who gave the prophecy like he, like he was supposed to eventually, but failed to, to have mercy in his heart. It was Jonah. We oftentimes think of the story of the big fish and Jonah being corrected on his path to go to Nineveh. But if you read, the Bible doesn't directly say mercy, but we can tell that Jonah did not have much pity or compassion or mercy for the people of Nineveh. And so even though Jonah was able to finally deliver the prophecy, when God called for him to understand and see the mercy that the people of Nineveh needed... He was unable in his heart, he didn't, have, he didn't have to go show it to him, he didn't have to go say it to him. In his heart, he was unable to have that mercy for the people of Nineveh. So then that begs the question, we see how that goes together in scripture, but how can these gifts go together today in our own daily lives? How can they be used today? And I think one of the best applicable ways, one of the most applicable prophets for this is the prophet of Samuel. You see, the prophet Samuel is an example of both mercy and prophecy. 
And just to give you a little bit of context here, if you don't know who the prophet Samuel is, the prophet Samuel was the prophet who anointed King Saul and anointed King David, the man after God's own heart. Okay? And he was the same one who had the mother Hannah, who, who couldn't have children, and then he was able to finally, he, he, Hannah was finally able to have Samuel. Okay? And then that eventually leads to David versus Goliath, a story most of us probably know. But one thing that happens before any of this, before even the anointing of Saul, is a story that some of you might know, but some of you might not. And it's a very interesting story. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, we're just going to read seven verses here as we go. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Yeesh, kind of a harsh critique, don't you think? Give us a king, who ju- give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their requests and went to the Lord for guidance. Last verse, verse 7. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. You see, in this situation, we see how Samuel had to have mercy on the people of Israel to still serve them, to still serve them as their judge. And even though God, God pointed out, look, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me, sometimes we can know the truth, but we still feel the effects of the pain and the hurt. And, and, and it says that Samuel was displeased. And probably not just displeased because they were rejecting him, but probably displeased with them rejecting his own sons as well. And in that situation, I don't know about you, but if anybody's reject, ever rejected me, then the last thing I want to do is keep serving them and keep, and keep giving them what they need. That's the selfish part of me that says, I don't want to keep serving you. I don't want to keep talking to you. However, that's not what Samuel did. You see, Samuel felt rejected, but through God's truth, had mercy on the people and delivered prophecy from God. Now, he hasn't delivered prophecy yet, but we see that he has given prophecy that he's going to deliver to the people. Let's see this in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. It says, Now the Lord had told Samuel the previous day, About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him, this, this man is Saul, anoint him to be the leader of my people Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines, for I have looked down on my people in mercy and have heard their cry. And so what we see here is not only is God giving mercy to the Israelites, but he is also asking for Samuel to deliver mercy to them as well through delivering this prophecy that he will anoint a king who will bring them out and not just be their king, but deliver them from the Philistine armies who are, who are, who are hurting them, who are torturing them, who, who are at war with them constantly. And so Samuel, not only in this moment, is delivering prophecy, but by delivering the prophecy, has to also in turn deliver the mercy. 
Let's see what happens next. A few verses ahead in verse 27. When they reach the edge of town, so Samuel is, is meeting Saul. He's already met him, but he sends him back off. And this happens. When they reach the edge of town, Samuel told Saul to send his servant on ahead. After the servant was gone, Samuel said, Stay here, for I have received a special message for you from God. And at this point in time, Samuel anoints Saul in the next few verses as the new king of Israel. He anoints him, basically giving away, even though Samuel wasn't the king, he still had leadership as the judge, giving that leadership away from himself to Saul, as God had prophesied for him to do. And after all this goes down, chapter 10, verse 9, says this, As Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart, and all of Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. What Samuel had prophesied, what Samuel said was going to be done, were fulfilled that day. Prophecy and mercy. Two gifts used together. You see, by God, Samuel had mercy and had a prophecy. And it was only through God that he was going to have the mercy, and it was only through God he was going to have the prophecy to deliver to the people. And it made for quite the interesting experience of not just delivering a message, but delivering his own position, his own leadership away from himself onto King Saul. And so what we recognize today is sometimes there may be an opportunity where you feel that nudging, where you feel that, 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 that feeling or whatever, however you want to describe it in your heart. And it won't just require you to have the courage to speak the prophecy, but it'll also require you to have the mercy for that person, to give them the message that God is delivering to you. And it's not just this way with mercy and prophecy. Many gifts can be used together in unison, and you might feel more confident in one gift and say, yes, this is something I, I, I do all the time. This is something I'm more confident in. You might be an encourager and say, yes, I, I am very confident with encouraging people. However, the teaching is not as something I'm as confident in. Or I might be very confident in the teaching, but I'm not as confident in my generosity to be used for God. But I would like to encourage you that whatever gift God has given you, he gave you for a reason. He gave you the gifts that you have for a reason to be used. And maybe they're used often. Maybe you're very familiar with them. Or maybe there's gifts that you're not as familiar with that challenge you. And what I would say to you with that is that with spiritual gifts, they require more obedience than they do experience. When a spiritual gift is bestowed upon you in your life, it requires more for you to be obedient to God's calling, to God's gifting in your life, than it does for you to have the correct experience. I don't know about you, but when I read in the Bible and in my own life, I recognize that experience isn't something that is often needed as much as my obedience is for God. 
My obedience is my ability to say yes because I'll have you know the enemy, the enemy, the fear, insecurity, whatever it is, can try to tell you not to use those gifts, but they cannot stop God from giving you those gifts. God alone is the one with the power. He is the one with the control and he will bestow upon you gifts, but it is your through your obedience to use those gifts. It's frightening. It can be scary sometimes to use those gifts. It can be difficult because of our, our vengefulness, our, the, the hatred that we feel sometimes to use those gifts. But at the end of the day, you have those gifts that God has given you. They are not taken away by man. Man cannot take them away. Satan cannot take them away. No enemy can take away your gifts. God has given you those gifts. It's your job to remain in his truth, to be confident in his love, and to use those gifts for him. You see, God has called you to something in your life. God has called you to a person, an area, something in your life. And he will give you what you need to do those things. God has gifted you with things in your life to do, whether they're the spiritual gifts outlined in, in Romans chapter 12 or in another chapter or whatever it is. God has gifted you in your life with abilities to do things. And not only that, but God has made you capable to do his good works. Not through you. It's not through your doing. It's not through your training. It's not through what you have accomplished in your own life. It's not through your rewards, but it's through him that he's made you capable for your good works that you can do for him, for his good works. And at the end of the day, you might say, yes, John, I know these things, but I still feel the shame. I still feel the guilt of how I treated my loved one or, or what I said to the person at this time or, or what I do when I'm alone and I, and, I, and I just don't ever want to think about it. I have so much shame. I have so much guilt that God can never use me in the way he's called me. But I would just like to remind you that Jesus has redeemed you. That you are redeemed through the love, through the grace, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. A friend, uh, when I was in college, who he was a freshman and I was a senior, and something he, he tried to, he, he dealt with all the time, he struggled with, was not feeling worthy to go into ministry. To, to, he was feeling like, I, I can't do these things. I know I have the gifts. I know I have the abilities to do these things because God's given them to me, but I'm not worth it or I'm not worthy. It's worth it, but I'm not worthy to do these things. And so many times over and over again, we would go through and we would say, God has called you. We would go through and we would say, God has gifted you. We would go through, we would say, God has made you capable to do his good works. And he would agree with all of that. But finally, the one that he hung up, had to hang up with the most because he, he set ministry so high as this, as this thing that he couldn't do because of his lack of worthiness. The thing that we had to say often, time and time again, and the thing that I hope you say in your heart often and time and time again is that Jesus has redeemed you. Not because of what you did. Not because that you earned it. Not because of anything you did for yourself. Not because of anything your parents did for you or anything. But because he loves you and he sent his son 
for you so that you can be with him for eternity. So what I, what I ask you to do now is to lay down those fears, lay down those insecurities, block out the voices that try to tell you that you're not enough and that you can't do things because you are correct on your own. You are not enough. However, with Jesus, you have been redeemed. You have been called, you have been gifted, and you have been made capable to do his good works. We're going to have an invitation now. And so if you are someone that you say, you know what, Jesus has redeemed me, but I haven't accepted that yet. I'd encourage you to come forward. We would love to let you either know more about that today or offer you the opportunity to be baptized. But even if it's not that, even if you're, if you're just want prayer in your life to use the gifts that you know that God has, whether it's prophecy, whether it's mercy, whatever it is, generosity, teaching, whatever it is, that you would just like prayer for that, you're free to come forward as well.